he would have asked the question of, if that doesn't jack you up and change your tire, then what will? So anyway, that's, that's my granddadism for the day. Uh, we are so grateful that you guys are here today. I'm sitting in, standing in the back because I, I can't stand up here because um, I, I move way too much before um, everything. But man, it's, it's good to see the back of so many heads um, from back there. It, it really is. Like, uh, I know that this is not our identity. Uh, this is not who we are. But it's something we are blessed to be able to do, like the word in Scripture would be graced to do, like charis, grace to do. This is something we are graced to be able to do. Um, it is a gift of God, and man, it's good. Um, it's good. I don't think, hopefully over the past year and a half, two years, if nothing else, hopefully we've learned that the gathering of the saints should not be taken for granted. Um, amazing technology that we can put it on a screen and you can hear it in your earbuds, but man, it, it is not the same. And I have no problem saying that. It is not the same as gathering together. So uh, I'm, I'm glad to share a room with you today. Um, man, today's a uh, great day for us as a church. Um, we, we get to celebrate, obviously, God's Word and a shaky table, which I think I can fix quickly, because um, if not, it's going to be bad for everybody. Uh, but we also get to celebrate the fact that we are affirming. Thank you, Water. You're the man. Righty-tighty, lefty-loosey, bingo-bango-bongo. Yep, Perfect. Wobble, wobble cured. Uh, we get to celebrate the, the affirming of a new elder within origin, someone from within our family that God has grown and, uh, and matured, and so we're going to do that after the message. Uh, but today also we're in week two of Mark. Uh, we're going to be there a while, so just, you know, hang on to your socks. It's going to be, man, we're going we're gonna to walk through the entire book of Mark, however long it takes us. Um, and here's the, here's the question we're trying to answer. Like, um, man, who is this Jesus? You know, for those of us who know Jesus, we need to ask that question continually, and we need to be able to answer it continually. For those of us who do not know Jesus, yes, you need to be able to answer that question and, and actually know, is this Jesus real? Is he not? And I'll tell you the, the short answer is he is, and he's done great things. He's made great promises to you and to us. And today we're going to um, open to Mark chapter 1. Last week we looked at uh, Mark's type of introduction um, to his gospel, and like we talked about, Mark was basically Peter's interpreter. Uh, he was also known as John Mark. We see him mentioned later in Scripture in other places. He was like Peter's spiritual son. And so when we read the book of Mark, we understand that it's like the Michael Bay of gospels, like it's action-packed. You know, Jesus, um, Matthew is going to be the most Jewish of gospels. Mark, action-packed. A lot of the miracles there, Luke, universal. John, very theological. Uh, but Mark also writes in an occurrence or an event-based um, kind of tradition. And so he's going to write about things that occurred. And so sometimes his details are going to appear differently than others. Uh, today we're going to be in chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. Um, and it's interesting that we land here today. Yesterday I was down in uh, Columbia, which I never really feel like there's a need to drive to Columbia. But, you know, it happens. There's a couple great Thai restaurants and a few great Mexican restaurants, and some, there's some great rivers there. But when we left, we were like, we're probably, hopefully, Lord, we're never coming back. But either way, great people there. No offense. Irmo's a completely different area, man. That's, you know, that's different. you got a lake that you can climb in when it gets so hot that you want to pass out and die. Um, so, but I was down there yesterday with college students from all over the state. And, and, man, just teaching them honestly, like, around this verse, you know, the whole day. Like, what does it mean for us to be a disciple? What does it mean for us to make disciples? And we ask a couple quick key questions for those that were followers of Jesus. Number one, have you ever been told that your identity now rests in Jesus and you are a disciple? And if not, you are. You need to hear that. But then the second question is, what does that mean? What does that even mean? 
Today, we get to look um, at Mark's account of when Jesus called his first disciples. I'm going to pray, and we're going to jump in, and we're just going to, man, we're going to answer some questions, and then we're going to um, affirm an elder within this church, and I'm excited about both, so let's pray. <laughs> Don't look at me, Lexi. <laughs> God, we love you um, far better than we deserve. Our words uh, falter when it comes to describing your goodness. As good as our songs are, they're not enough, but thank you that you take them anyway. Thank you that our paltry offerings compared to a holy, holy, holy God um, are a sweet aroma to your nose. Thank you, God, that the intent of our heart can be translated through the blood of sacrifice of Jesus that you hear it. God, thank you for your word. Uh, I pray today as we look at the person and the God of Jesus, uh, God, that we understand who he was and what he's calling us into. And Father, maybe for the first time, we understand that there is great weight and responsibility and grace there in those things. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. And God, thank you for calling us to more than we could ever be. We love you. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. So we wrapped up with Mark's introduction last week, and he basic, Jesus was basically uh, entering in, proclaiming the gospel of God, the good news, literally like the best news of God, and he said this in our last verse, he said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel, period. Jesus' message of hope, Jesus' message of repentance, Jesus' message of what must happen for you to leave the kingdom of the world and enter the kingdom of God was super simple. Just this, repent, believe. Turn from who you were, turn to Jesus instead, believe in the life, the death, the work, and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, a lot of that would take several years to flesh out. It would culminate with Jesus standing on the side of a mountain overlooking the city of Jerusalem and saying, start here, go a little bit further, go to where they hate you and you hate them, and then go as far as you can imagine doing one thing, making disciples. Not making converts, not making church people, not making good choices, but making disciples. A disciple is, we're going to get into that in just a minute, but making disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and understand while you're doing it, I will be with you for all of it. It started with repent and believe. The kingdom is here, and it ended with go now as a result of everything you've seen from the first word to this one, make disciples, replicate Jesus. And there's nowhere in the midst of that, like I'm going to give away a little bit, there's nowhere in between Jesus saying the kingdom is here, go make disciples. There's nowhere in between those two bookends of his ministry that it leads us to believe that anyone is out of the scope of making disciples if we claim Jesus. And so when we read the passage we're going to read today, just to give us a little bit of a, an idea, I think very often it's taken out of context in this simple way, that it's only applied to those who are called effectively to ministry as a vocation. But here's the problem with that hermeneutic. Number one, it's wrong, but number two, here is why. These were the people that Jesus was going to build his church on in its entirety, not the pastors. These were the people. These 12, which would become 11 as a result of Judas's blatant disobedience, but also ordained disobedience, these are the people that God would build his church on. And so if we look at the 11, they were a representation of all the church, not just the leadership. And so this word that we read today, it applies to all followers of Christ. All followers of Christ. So this is what happened after repent, believe, kingdom of God is at hand. It says in verse 16, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. 
And Jesus said to them, simply, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Such a simple, beautiful passage about calling the very first disciples, the first followers, the first learners, the first imitators, the first ministers ordained, sent out by Jesus. Very simple, very succinct. There's a couple things that I want us to see, and I'm going to do my best to, to, to bust through it, but like this is a passage that as a church we are super passionate about because from this passage is where we get our understanding and base our definition of what it means to be a disciple. And so if you've been through our covenant membership class, you've heard this. If you've been around for a couple of years, you've probably seen graphics relating to this that might even involve an hourglass, and that's fine. This one takes an hour. I'm not going to go that long. Uh, but you've, you've seen this. You've heard it, but it bears repeating over and over and over. The first thing that, that we probably need to point out from a context deal, like this account is, is listed and it's read out in every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, obviously, Mark is going to be a generalized uh, account of this. Matthew is as well. Luke is going to add some details to this, and John is going to add some details. Same account. Same account. What we know about these men is uh, they were the modern-day equivalent of blue-collar. Nothing wrong with that. I think that's a good thing. They were modern-day equivalent of blue-collar. Rabbi school? No. Seminary? No. Had they ever sat under a great teacher? No. A few of them had sat under John the Baptist, who we talked about last week. Andrew was one of those. But as far as like being the creme de la creme, the top of the heap, they were not. As a matter of fact, the fishermen would be like our modern-day equivalent of like a truck driver. Hallelujah. They were truck drivers. They were the ones that you see at Pilate filling up with diesel, getting trail mix for the next load. They were those guys. And as a matter of fact, most likely they may have even been less than that because I respect truck drivers enough to get them to honk their horn. I want to hear it still as a 41-year-old. And my kids want to hear it. Most people probably would not even have spoken to fishermen unless it was time to eat. This is who these guys were. But the other thing I think it's worth noting is that these are the guys that Jesus called. These are the guys that Jesus called. Now, he could have gone to the temple, he could have gone to the synagogue, and he could have taken some disciples from another rabbi, because a rabbi, a teacher, uh, would have about 12 disciples, 12 men following him, learning from him, sitting at his feet, literally and figuratively, daily in the temple. He could have gone and selected the best from there. No, he is walking by the sea, walking by the sea. And he had already had an encounter with these guys, most likely. If we read the other accounts and the rest of the Gospels, like there had been a conversation, but it wasn't at length. It wasn't a long conversation. There were no resumes exchanged. There was nothing like that. It was just kind of a, a passing conversation, or it may have all been one giant conversation, and Mark and Matthew simplify it. But either way, this is Peter's account, for the most part. Jesus walking by the sea, seeing fishermen, and he stops for them. I think the first thing that we need to to look at and think about before we even go any further is we need to see the hope in the fact that Jesus called ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Because like I said, he was going to build his church, like the body of Christ, the ecclesia, on these men. These men he's calling now from obscurity, from their occupation, from fishing, the smelliness of it, the, the mundane nature of it. These are the men that Jesus stopped and he called. That gives me great hope. 
Because I do believe that if Jesus can start at the bottom, he can, he can pull out anybody else all the way up. And I don't know how much higher I am than a fisherman, but, you know, I love to fish, but I'm not that kind of fisherman. But still, that gives me great hope to know that if he can do it with them, he can do it with me. He can do it with you. He can do it with we, the us. And I think it's important to note, too, just this, this single line that has become so pertinent uh, in the church and in the body of Christ. He did not call those that were already equipped. He did not call those who were already equipped. Later we would see that he actually equipped them, but he called them exactly as they were, how they were, where they were, when they were, right there. And his call was simple. It was simple. It was just, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. The first thing that we need to see is that, man, he just called ordinary, blue-collar, normal people. This is not a knock against anyone that's white-collar, not a knock against someone that's educated, but I think it's a hope-affirming, life-giving idea that Jesus can, will, and most definitely shall use anybody to accomplish his mission. That gives me great hope. So that's the who that he called, but what does he actually call them to do? Jesus stopped and he said to them, he said, follow me, I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their moat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. I think the first thing that we have to notice about his words to them is he just literally called them, first two words, follow me. He called them to follow now, I think a lot of times we, we term what we are in, in a few different ways. We say that I'm a Christian, nothing wrong with that. It was a derogatory term used early in Scripture uh, to title the people that were following Jesus, the people of the way. That's okay. I'll take a derogatory term if it has Jesus in it. I'm fine. We may say that. Um, we, we may call ourselves disciple of Jesus. I'm great with that. A lot of connotation there. We'll get into that. We may call ourselves followers of Christ, Christ followers. Uh, we may say, once I followed the world, but now I follow Christ. Or, or we may say, I go to church. That last one's a little bit incomplete, and I would love for us to rephrase that one. But the other three, totally good with. But if we're going to call ourselves Christ followers, I think that we need to understand what it means in the context then and in the context now. For these men, what did it mean for him to say, follow me? Well, the very first thing I think we see in a very physical way, in order for them to follow, they had to do something else first, and it was leave. In order for them to follow Jesus, they actually had to leave where they were. For us, man, the simplest way that that works itself out is it's not that Jesus is necessarily calling us to leave our job, but he is calling us to abandon our sin, to abandon our former self, to abandon the former passions that dictated our lives, directed our path. When he calls us to follow, if we're going to say yes, we also have to choose to leave. And what we leave behind is man. To be honest, it's that word that starts with every and it ends with thing, and it's one word. And when he truly calls us to follow, we're willing to abandon everything. Now, does it necessarily mean that we have to? No, it doesn't, but it, it does mean that we need to be willing. If he asks us to, the willingness needs to be there even before the action. And these men, they had had an encounter with Jesus. I don't know what it was. It was the Holy Spirit working in them, but he said, follow me, and they didn't ask questions. The word that Mark uses so frequently is translated into immediately, and it says he called Andrew and he called Peter, and immediately they got out of their boat. Immediately. We see the same haste later after the resurrection when Jesus finds out, I mean, when Peter finds out that it's Jesus walking out on the beach, and we see Peter fling himself into the ocean and swim to the shore, robe and all. Immediately. 
immediately. So for these guys, they actually had to, they left their occupation. We see with the Zebedees that they actually left their dad. They left their servants. They left it all in favor of Jesus. Maybe you've never heard that you're actually a disciple, that that is your title, that that is what we are, that we are a follower of Jesus. But understand, maybe today you're hearing it for the first time, and I need to tell you, if you're a follower of Jesus, either we do or we are willing to leave it all. Because we can't follow Jesus in something else. It says we can't have two masters in Scripture. Jesus is actually telling people this, and we find it in Matthew. He's like, you can't serve God in money, or you can't serve God in stuff. You're going to be divided. We're going to be unstable with Jesus if we're going to follow him. To be honest, we have to decide that it's going to just be him. Now, there are going to be days in which we get distracted. There are going to be days in which we become disobedient. And for that, the, the same answer there applies to the same way that we were able to follow Jesus. We leave it behind. We repent. We confess. We turn. And Jesus is like, I'm glad to see you. <laughs> Welcome back. But in order to follow, sometimes they had to leave. For someone to actually follow a rabbi actually meant that they had to watch what they did. They actually, Jesus was actually inviting them not just walk behind me, step where I step, but watch what I do. Watch how I do it. Watch when I do it. Observe me. Follow Jesus. For us, same thing. Now, granted, we don't have Jesus walking in front of us, but we do have Scripture to record in four different accounts the things that he did, the way that he loved, the way that he responded, the way that he did all of these things, the way that he was crucified, the way that he willingly let go of his divinity, canoe the way he did all of that, we get to read. If we are saying, yes, I'm going to follow you, I'm going to leave this, choose you instead, then that also means we observe Jesus. We watch his life, we look at his life, so that we can learn what his life looked like, so that the next step is not quite so hard. We have an informed an informed way of doing it. We watch him and we pay attention to him so that we may imitate him, so that we may be like him, be like him in his life, be like him in his words, be like him even in his death, so that we may be like Jesus. But we'll never be like Jesus if we don't watch and observe and learn. When he says, follow me, he literally meant follow me, tuck in behind me, walk as I walk, walk where I walk, but also walk how I walk. Now, I'm not telling us to adopt the swagger of Jesus and walk how he walked because we don't know, but we do know what he did, and we can read how he did it. And so, as a, as a life, as a pursuit, as an act of worship, we want to say, Jesus, the way you did it, I want to do it that way too. With an understanding that he was fully God, fully man, he was entirely capable. We were born incapable, but he's making us capable. That's the, the act of sanctification. So don't buy into the idea that we can't. We need to accept the notion that he's making us able day by day by day from one degree to another. We follow Jesus. The second thing that we see that he invites them into, he didn't just invite them to follow him, but he said, follow me and I will make you you. Like, I love that. I remember listening to a guy named Stuart Briscoe when I was uh, in Bible college, and he was this deep, very authoritative British man. He talked like Sean Connery. He spoke an entire week on Peter. He called him Simon Barjona, because that was his name, Simon. Yeah, anyway, he said, Peter, I know you. Come, follow me. I will make you. I loved it. 
I loved it. It was, it was super pivotal for me. Not, number one, the accent was really good, probably better than mine because mine's fake. His was real. But um, just this sage, oozing wisdom man who had lived it, walked it, loved it, bled the Scriptures, that guy, he's looking at him, and he's reminding us that not only did he invite the disciples to follow, he invited them into a life that he said, I will change you. I will make you. I will transform you. He said, you're not ready. You're not able. You're not capable but I'll make you that way. I'll make you that way. The mission that exists before us that Jesus started with the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe, he's inviting ill-equipped, unable, incapable people into, but he's saying, that's okay. I'm going to give you everything you need. And that's the reason the other book end of his ministry, and he said, and lo, I will be with you always. Yeah, come and follow me. But understand, I'm going to change you. I'm going to transform you. I'm going to remake you. The disciples heard it, and they followed anyway. As a matter of fact, they immediately followed with an understanding that he was going to change them. He was going to remake them. The first quality of a disciple is that we follow Jesus. The second quality of a disciple is someone who is being transformed by Jesus. If we think that we can follow Jesus and not be changed, then we've read the wrong book. (laughs) We've heard the wrong gospel. We haven't listened to the gospel at all. As a matter of fact, maybe we've read a self-help book, but that's not what Scripture is. Because Scripture actually says you can't help yourself. You can't get yourself out of hell free. There's no possible chance. You can't save yourself into a mission, but only Jesus can. He says, come, follow me, leave where you are in favor of me, and let me change you. Let me make you. We have to be willing to say, God, you do with me whatever you won't. I'm a broken pot. You remake me. You bust me down and you shape me however you want for what you have ahead. God's part is he does it. Our part is we say okay. Because sanctification does take both parties involved. Now it is a work of God, but it's a willingness on our part. We have to say okay. Do what you want. Take me, make me, break me. Mm. He said follow me. I will make you And then after the being transformed part, he says what he's going to make them into. He says, I will make you fishers of men. Now, for them, that was pretty clever, right? I mean, it was pretty clever that they were fishermen. Like, they were fishing for fish. They were out there fishing for halibut or whatever, not not halibut in Galilee. But either way, they were out there fishing. Halibut are a cold-water deep species that hug the bottom. They probably wouldn't have been there. But either way, they were out there fishing with a net. And he said, I'm going to make you not fish for fish anymore, but I'm going to make you fish for men. Now, for us, like, look, we can, we can kind of remove the, the, the metaphor there, but here's the idea of it. Hey, here's what I'm going to make you into. I'm going to make you into people that look like Jesus who are going after the hearts, the lives, and the salvation of everyone around you. Fishers of men. I'm going to make you look like the heart of Jesus going after the lives, the souls, and the eternal salvation of everyone around you. I will make you into someone that looks like me, in the words of Jesus. Jesus' desire is not to create church people. Jesus' desire is to replicate his heart in the church. And his heart is for all those who do not know him, all those who are far off. He says, that's what I'm going to make you into. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus, leaving what they have to, someone who is being changed, transformed by Jesus, and what they're being transformed into is, man, a bunch of people on mission with Jesus. 
a bunch of people on mission with Jesus. And, and understand that we, we need to make sure that we're saying fishermen, plural, or fisherwomen, however we want to say it, fisher people, plural. He said, I'm going to make y'all into a bunch of people doing the same thing. Because I think very often we make it so personal and so private, and we're like, oh, Jesus is just remaking me. No, no, no. Jesus is remaking we, us, the church, the body of Christ, into a group of people on the same mission for the same purpose for one person's glory, and that's just God with one Savior, that's Jesus, with one indwelling seal and equipper, and that's the Holy Spirit in one family. Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. A disciple is someone who's following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and who's on mission for Jesus. And to be honest, if we take any one of those three things away, I don't think we know Jesus. And I know that's harsh. And I'm not trying to get us to doubt our salvation, but I want us to look at the gospel in its entirety and the words that Jesus said. He said, repent and believe, and not just believe some of it, Because believe is a totality kind of an idea in its entirety, in its perfection, in its completion. Believe it all. Repent from all of that. Come to all of me and believe all that I'm telling you. And all that I'm telling you is that the salvation of the world, you are plan A and the gospel is the only way. And it has to come out of your mouth, our mouth, y'all's mouth. Come to me. I will make you fishers of men. I will make you disciples who follow who listen, who learn, who imitate disciples. I love how they responded probably more than anything. It's probably the most convicting part. Like Jesus' words, they convict me. What he's actually calling us to, super convicting. But the fact that these guys responded the way they did, it probably speaks more to me because they're men, I'm men, you know, all that kind of crazy stuff. But they just, they just did it. They just did it. They didn't ask for a spreadsheet with with compensation based on how many men they catch. They didn't ask for that. They they didn't ask, hey, how long is my contract going to go? They they didn't ask for where is this going to take me? What is it going to cost me? Um, How am I going to make ends meet? They didn't ask any of that. And man, I'll be honest, like I said, a lot of the things that we've learned about following Jesus in this American culture have pushed us so far off track as to what it means to follow Jesus. I think we just need to hear this. You come, you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they got up and they followed. Left everything they had for the glory, for the mission, and the privilege of being a follower of Jesus. For the glory, for the mission, and the privilege of being a follower of Jesus. Compensation was never mentioned. Four wonk never mentioned. <laughs> Just Jesus. Where does that leave us? Well, to be honest... Sometimes it leaves me woefully disappointed in my ability to commit. But there's repentance. There's confession. There's a God who's willing to hear both. Where does it leave you? I think it leaves all of us in this place with an understanding that we need to hear the gospel in its entirety and we need to accept the fact that the people around us are the exact mission that God called us to. The same thing that Zach brought up with the cards that we put three people's names on two weeks ago. Just very simply, we said, pull out an index card, tear it in half. Three people's names in your life right now who are far from Jesus but close to you. What are their names? Write them down. 
Circle the one that you feel like is closest in proximity to you, relational or actually distance, that you may actually get to come into a relationship with you so that you can share the gospel with them, have a real gospel conversation with them. Maybe they even get to hear it here. Maybe they get to hear it in a community group. Whatever way that looks like, circle them. In those three names, here's what you do. You pray for them every single day. Pray for them every single day with the belief and the understanding, God, I agree with you that you want to save this person, bring them from death to life, make them a follower of you. Pray for them with the understanding that God wants to and that we can play a part. And we don't stop praying for them until God does it or they move out of our circle and we don't see them anymore. But even then, you can keep praying for them. It's okay. And then you tore that card in half and we took half of them as leadership and staff and we've been praying for them almost every day with you. Because we agree with God that he desires that all men come to know him. He tells us in Scripture, and we agree to the point that we're going to ask him for it, and we agree to the point that we're going to pray for you, that God reminds you to pray for them on their behalf so that God may save them. And then after that, because you're the person that prayed for them, because you're the person that invited them into this story, you get to be the person that turns the hourglass over in their life. For what God poured into you you get to pour into them with the understanding that at some point they will get to do it for someone else and someone else and someone else and someone else. You know what that's called? That's called the mission that Jesus put us on. Do we want that? It's what Jesus wanted. It's what Jesus called us to. It's what he called us out of this world and placed us into. He didn't place us into a chair. He didn't place us into a pew. He didn't place us into a legal system. He placed us into a mission in which we are enabled by grace and the Holy Spirit equipping us and empowering us to go, therefore, make disciples. I don't know what you need to do today with that. Um, There's a good chance that Uh, maybe you just need to confess to God, God, you know what? I believe part of your gospel, but the other part I've been very reluctant to believe. Maybe today you just need to confess that. Say, God, I've only taken part of it, but I want it all. I want it all. And not just for my salvation, but for the salvation of those who are around me, for the growth of those who are around me, for the discipleship of those around me. I want to be that. And if you don't know where to start with that, man, you find Zach, you find Becky, you find Neil, you find Lindsay, you find me, you find Abby, you find Ed and Andrew, you find Lexi. And you talk to them and say, I don't know where to start. We'd love to help you figure out where to start and where to go next and where to go next. And in the meantime, you take that card that you wrote those three names down on and you daily pray for the people on that card and their salvation, believing that God will do it because he's entirely able. He can take smelly fishermen and change the world. He can redeem your neighbor. He can redeem your coworker. He can redeem your child. Pray for them with the belief that he will. Beg him to do so. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you've been chasing hard for a while, and maybe you're worn out. Maybe you just need to say, Jesus, I'm, I'm tired. Just stick up your hand like in surrender. I'm worn out. <laughs> if that's you, Tell us, please, tell us, please, if you are exhausted, you are following something other than Jesus, let us help you. Because Jesus said, I didn't come to wear you out. I came to give you life. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. If following Jesus is wearing us out, there's a good chance that we may be following something else other than Jesus. 
Come to us. Let us know. Let us talk to you. Let us love you and help you. That's why we're here. Man, I, I love our jobs. I love our role. I love our calling as pastors and as shepherds. Uh, it is our privilege to sit and talk with you and hear your junk. It's okay. We don't mind if a little bit of it gets on us. That's all right. That is part of the deal. I know Zach feels the exact same way. I know our spouses feel the exact same way. If you got junk and you need to offload it, man, let us hear it, please. Talk to your community group leaders and community groups. Start back next week. Get in one if you're not. Figure out what it, like, what it looks like to be fisher people <laughs> together, a family. And if God's telling you to do something else that I didn't mention, by all means, hey, do that. Come and tell us about it, but do that. Let's pray, and then we're going to talk about what's, what's next. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for Jesus. God, we thank you that you call us from obscurity into family. You call us from strangers and aliens as it relates to you and to sons and daughters. You call us from being people who could not accomplish good into people who are now called disciples, missionaries for the gospel of Jesus. God, I pray that we would pick that up. I pray that we would hold that dear, and I pray that we would understand what you've called us into. And you would let us see that it's a life worth living. It is a pursuit worth culminating uh, or just cultivating. And God, that, uh, God, it is a life worth having. Whether we work in an auto garage, whether we work in a hospital, whether we work in a school, whether we work in a church family, whether we don't work at all, whether we're home working hard and raising children, God, you've called us to make disciples of all people in all places at all times. Let us accept that responsibility well, and let us glorify you in our efforts, and thank you for making us able. It's in your name we pray. So today it's uh, a huge privilege.